Hey there, I'm Chris Jansman, author of the Sean Colbeth Investigates Mystery Series. My dear friend is joining me today to talk about my latest novel, Bewitched. It's an interesting tale that manages to tie the present to the past for my intrepid detective, forcing him to relive childhood events he'd rather forget. We'll delve a bit into the deep backstory for Sean Colbeth, and while we'll do our best to avoid spoilers, we do assume you've already read the novel. So if you're ready, pull up a chair, pour yourself a nice cup of hot coffee, and join us as we discuss Bewitched. So Sean mentored Vass, but I mean, it's been a while since I read the first book. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it's been like a couple of years going. Mm -hmm. So we're now several books in. Mm -hmm. Aren't they about the same age? And you can answer that in a, in a second, because my other question is, how is it that Sean feels like an old soul and Vass just feels so young? <laughs> um, so the, the short answer, well, actually, it's a long, complicated answer, because I also don't like to reveal how old they really are because I don't want them to be fixed in a particular point in time. Okay, uh, so I haven't necessarily forgotten. You no, haven't so precisely I, revealed. Exactly. So, But there are some interesting touchstones, and I know I use that word a lot in some of these podcasts. Um, so uh, Sean has been to two Olympics. He went to the 04 and the 08 Olympics. So that actually, if you're doing any kind of temporal mechanics in your brain, you can kind of vaguely figure out if he was a teenager for one and a college student for the other. He's probably about about so old. Vasily um, only went to the 20, 2008 Olympics, so he's he and he was a teenager when he was there. I think I I said that at both the Vasily books as well as in Blindsided. So in my brain, um, there's enough difference that Sean was a senior when Vasily was a freshman, essentially at University of Maine, uh, University of Eastern Maine. Um, so there, that's the only overlap is that one year that they were both at UAM at the same time, but they remain because they were both competing for the Olympics. They remained as teammates essentially at UAM, right. even though Sean went on to the Justice Academy and then got the gig, whatever his first gig is. And I've been a little coy about what Sean's <laughs> actual path was from from UAM through the Justice Academy through becoming chief at, at Winport. Um, so. I'm going to, I'm going to probably kill myself for actually fastening this a bit, but in my brain, Sean is just about to turn 40. Vasily is just about to turn 35. And there's some reasons why those are, are important numbers because between the two of them, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Vasily is far more hung up on age um, than Sean is. I mean, he totally, that's just who he is. Uh, Sean is not. And to your question about how they feel personality-wise, um, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Sean grew up in Maine as a, as a single child with parents that were running a business. So he kind of um, grew up faster, as it were, because I have essentially my backstory that he worked in the pharmacy beside his dad and his mom while he was also preparing and training to become an Olympian. So he really kind of grew up kind of fast um, and became very that responsible prototypical responsible eagle scouty kind of kid even though he had no time to be a boy scout <laughs> because he was if he's not in the pool he was at school and if he wasn't at school he was at the pharmacy um so he he really didn't have much of a life as far as that goes and that's kind of where the inside joke with him not knowing anything about pop culture kind of comes from is that he was so focused on whatever he was doing at the moment um, that he just didn't have time to sit and watch television or read comic books or any of that kind of thing because it just wasn't relevant to what he was doing Vasily, on the other hand, is a child of Southern California. And as I, I know you know, uh, the culture out in Southern Cal 
is a little different uh, than the culture in Maine. Um, Vasily was a very outdoorsy kid. He surfed. He was a beach bum. Um, he was part of the whole Hollywood model scene because that was part of what his parents wanted him to be. So he is the perennial Southern Cal kid who just never grows up. And I mean, they do, obviously, because he's an adult at this point. But he retains all of those teenage qualities that I think uh, sometimes unfairly Southern Cal uh, kids often get tagged with. And that's a nice juxtaposition between the two characters because Sean is really, really, you know, he's funny in the main kind of way, uh, but he's totally serious almost all the time. And when he tells a joke, it's a little hard to know he's actually being funny uh, because he's, <laughs> yes, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's always a surprise when he does it, where Vasily is totally not serious most of the time. And he's very sarcastic and sardonic <laughs> yes. and, and um, has a completely different worldview than, than Sean does. But I, I really, at least in my stories, uh, and I, I haven't really expressed specifically that Sean was essentially a unpaid indentured servant at the family pharmacy. <laughs> it may or may not have had something to do with why he didn't go into the family business. I'll let you decide that one. Yeah. Um, but it just, I, I think that's pretty much where that comes from, is he grew up way too fast and, and had to become a responsible adult at, you know, age 10 <laughs> kind of thing, so... Well, reading about high school certainly <laughs> puts one back in that time. <laughs> oh, I oh, yeah. had lots of thoughts of my own high school mm -hmm. <laughs> in reading. Uh, it, it was certainly odd. So what brought you back to high school? There's a, I don't know if I put it in the book. I might have. Uh, at this point, I have so many words on paper now. I, I'm starting to kind of blend uh, where I've done things. Thank God for, for character sheets. But there's a great Dolly Parton uh, song uh, that has a refrain in it. I, I think the song is called uh, "Back in the Good Old Day." Back in the good old days when times were bad, I think is the title of the song. And one of the lines in there is that uh, something along the fact I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm not remembering it exactly was no amount of money could pay me to take those memories from me. No amount of money could pay me to ever go back and live it again. Essentially, uh, I'm not rhyming. Dolly is far better at songwriting than I am. Clearly. Um, and that's always stuck with me. And I guess there were two reasons why we went back to high school with Sean. One is we don't really know much about Sean's pre-police chief time. We kind of allude to it. We know he was in the Olympics. We know he grew up in a, a small family. But I sort of always had in the back of my head that his high school was kind of like the same kind of melting pot that my own was. Um, and maybe more so because it was more rural and in some ways maybe mimicked my wife's high school. Um, I went to school in a suburban town, so we, we only had students that were in my, essentially my town uh, and one town next door that came over. My wife grew up in a part of the state where they had a regional high school where more than one municipality actually kind of came in. Uh, to fill out the rank. It was, it was less expensive to have one big school than it was to have a lot of little tiny schools that only served a handful of students. And just in discussing with my wife over the years what the experiences were that we both had were like and the differences between that made me wonder if that was kind of what the Windport High School would be like because it's in a particularly uh, less economically robust part of the state. My presumption would be that there would be a school that would probably pull in from the surrounding county and the next, next county over. And I wondered how I could possibly blend that kind of 
really interesting culture of a lot of different people being thrown together in one space and also kind of revisit some of my worst moments <laughs> as a teenager without actually being the one that's living through it. You're a glutton for punishment, but exactly. sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I, it won't surprise you. I, I was a swimmer in high school, uh, but I was not the most athletic person in my high school. I, I tended you didn't to go to the Olympics? I did not, no. Um, I, I, veer, I was more on the side of the academic side, and, and my sports career was over fairly early. I think I, I cashed out at freshman level and, and moved on uh, just because the politics on the swim team were rather remarkable even back in those days, and I just didn't want to deal with it. I, I wanted to go to college. There were more, other more important things than I wanted to, to, to do than fight over who got in lane one. Um, but there were some interesting things that happened to me and to my, uh, my family in high school and friends that I knew. And comparing that and contrasting that to what my wife's experience was going through high school and, and the kinds of experiences that she had with um, the people that came in from the surrounding communities and kind of getting this interesting picture of how to kind of blend all of that together. I didn't intend, and I don't think it comes out that way, that it would be essentially a repeat of my own high school years, because it definitely isn't um, by any stretch. Other than the, the clickiness and, and the striation, the social striation that happens in high school. Um, I think as adults, sometimes we forget that it was a, dog-eat-dog kind of situation in many ways uh, as you're going through that pressure cooker of hormones and <laughs> seven periods a day um, and trying to trying to turn out good quality homework and figure out what you are going to become as a human. I mean, that's there's a lot of stuff that we're asking people that are, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 to kind of go through. I know what that was like for me. I was curious what John's experience was like because he was a premier athlete um, he was not socially connected like I was, and he definitely still isn't. Um, so what would that be? I mean, I always had this vision of what it would be like to be the top athlete in school. Everybody's spawning over them kind of thing. You know, it must be a real smooth, smooth cakewalk kind of thing to go through. Um, and the more I got into the idea of the story, the more I realized that it probably wasn't. You know, it probably had its own set of challenges, just like yeah, the classic grass is greener on the other side of the fence kind of thing that from my perspective is not a popular person in, in high school. I know, shocker. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, what, what was that like on the other side of the equation? Um, so that's where the genesis of it came from. And then kind of looping in some of the info that I learned about as my, my wife's kind of multicultural, multi-community high school and the, 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 the real issues of um, teenage pregnancy that actually happen in a more rural situation that did not happen in my high school, uh, at least not overtly. I know things were happening, but not in the same way that I might have depicted in, in the book. Um, and then seeing how my character reacted to that. And then with time and distance, how he reacted to it, would react to it again, if it were to be dredged from the past in the worst way possible. You know, would, would you feel differently about the things that you had suffered and the, the people that you had been forced to work with and, and become friends with or tried to tolerate in high school, and suddenly you're thrust back into a situation with all of them again 20 years later uh, and mix in a little bit of a murder on top of that to kind of get the worst of everything going. It was a very appealing idea uh, to see how my characters would react to that kind of um, uh, stew. And, and it, it percolated quite a bit for me before I actually wrote this book. 
and it and the idea shifted a little bit as I was as I got into it. But I think at the end, it, it did what I wanted it to do. It gave me a chance to talk a bit about Sean and his background, to understand some things that were maybe felt like quirks of his personality up to this book that now get an explanation on why he's that way, why he does things the way he does things, and why he's so hung up on very certain kinds of things that, you know, just were endearing just as a character trait, but now have a real meaning to them. And then talking a bit more uh, with his cousin, Charlie, and realizing that she grew up in that same town too, has her own set of memories and people and things that she knew, that she goes through high school a few years ahead of him and had a whole different perspective on those same years than he did. And then kind of how that works into your retrospective review of the time that you had in high school. So, uh, it, what, you know, if I had planned on it being cathartic for me as a you know, recovering high school student, it definitely wasn't that. This was even worse, I think, <laughs> an experience than, than my own would have been. But it was an interesting situation I couldn't walk away from as a writer to see where, you know, especially when you add a murder to it. Is there something that happens to you as a teenager that becomes insanely relevant 25 years later, 20, 25 years later? Something that you wouldn't have even thought of. Guilt that you didn't know you were carrying. Um, people that you wish you had said something to. You know, that person in the corner in high school that you ignored, you know, that might have had a delirious effect and you had no idea. <laughs> the chance comment in the hallway that you thought didn't mean anything. It meant a lot. Um, and that, those are all kinds of interesting ideas that I wanted to delve into. Very interesting. Very interesting trip down memory lane, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm <laughs> glad I'm done with it because I don't want to go back, <laughs> no. which I did. In you know, I don't want to get off track, but Vasily goes back to high school in a way uh, in Requiem, which we talked about in that other podcast. And um, I wrote his high school retroact. Ret I think I said that in that podcast too. He, he went back to high school before Sean did. <laughs> it's unintentional that those two did that, but. It was it was interesting. I, I'm I'm glad I'm done with that. So we won't be doing that again. <laughs> Good. So let's talk about the setting. Mm -hmm. uh, where did the idea behind the location of the murder come from? Mm, the ice house. Yeah. I mean, spoiler alert. It's in an ice house. It's in an ice house. Yeah. And, and again, as I usually say on these podcasts, if you have not read the book, this is a good time to pause and come on back to the podcast after you've read the book. Uh, if you haven't read the book, shame on you. But continue listening. Um, so um, we talked about in the first podcast how sometimes I'll read something and it kind of gets filed away or, or, or something will happen to me in my regular life and I just kind of file it in this big, massive, old-fashioned file cabinet that is my brain. And one day I'll, I'll be on a run or I'll be, I don't know, you know, working on code at my, my day job and suddenly this thing pops up. And in this particular case, I think I was doing some research into, um, this is going to sound really funny, but when I visit my dad in Maine, we um, tend to try and find scenic railroads that we can actually um, drive to and then, and then ride uh, in Maine. And there are quite a few of them. They're usually in, in um, rural parts of the state where they have not ripped up all of the old-fashioned uh, logging railroads that used to, used to be all over the place. Uh, and I think I was doing research on that, and I just randomly stumbled across this museum in Maine dedicated to ice harvesting. And if you didn't grow up on the East Coast, uh, or any place that <laughs> didn't have refrigeration prior to 18-whatever, um, ice harvesting was a thing where um, 
actual huge chunks of ice would get carved out of uh, rivers or, or in many cases lakes hauled to a barn essentially that had had uh, very primitive uh, refrigeration techniques essentially sawdust and then stored and then those would be dragged out to people's homes and delivered pre-refrigeration pre-electric refrigeration essentially you get this big block of ice it would go in your ice box that's where that term comes from uh, and it would keep your milk cold and in places like Winport that had a fishing industry, which my fake village did, that was used extensively to keep the fish that had been caught cold so they could be transported wherever they needed to go to to become canned fish <laughs> or, or whatever yeah. they were turned into. Uh, so it was a big industry in Maine. And I got hung up reading this, this website. It's like, wow, I forgot about this. And they had pictures of the last remaining, one of the last remaining ice houses in the East eastern seaboard which happens to be in maine and the fact that they do these um essentially recreations when the when the lake this thing is next to finally freezes over they actually get people out there that grow these handlebar mustaches and go out there with the equipment and actually saw ice out of the lake and i thought that's kind of a cool spot i wonder what it would look like if nobody used it in decades but it was still there and wouldn't that be a terrible creepy place you could find something <laughs> yes you know and, and, and at first i had all these marvelous ideas about how people could come to um, a marvelous end of their their life you know stumbling into one of these things and 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 i don't know um, tripping over something and dying or or you know having some piece of equipment fall on them or whatever um and i set it aside and didn't think about it for a while and then i started to to work on the plot line for um bewitched and i thought hmm I need a place for a body. Where would I put a place for a body? Well, how about that ice house? I was like, yeah. So I, I cleverly carved a portion out of Windport that we hadn't seen before and, and populated it with an ice house that was kind of falling apart. And I think as you see, if you, again, if you haven't read the book, shame on you. But when we first encounter it, Sean is actually uh, there because he's looking for a cat that's gone missing. And the cat happens to be in this, this ice house. And in the process of finding the cat, he discovers essentially our, our crime scene um, but because it's an old building it let me think about doing essentially what is a cold case story which mm -hmm. I haven't done up to this point so the actual murder in this book takes place 20 years earlier which dovetails nicely with my let's go back to high school idea that was called yes. percolating as well and it let me get this really cool notion of Sean living through a murder without being a police officer and then having to deal with it again as a police officer, knowing what he knew as a kid living through the situation the first time around. But it's this perfectly creepy spot. And, uh, you know, it's kind of run down and it's got, it's almost like people just kind of locked up one day and walked away. So all the equipment is still there, which is perfect if you're an aspiring murderer, if you're looking for some <laughs> kind of equipment to do stuff. Very you know, isolated. It's extremely isolated. It's on the far side of town. It's a perfect makeout place, you know. So if you're in the small, again, the small town thing, you know, you're looking for places to get away from your family. Well, how about the abandoned place over in so and so's property? Nobody ever goes there. Um, and it conveniently had water next to it, which is these are all great components if you're actually looking for places to to hide bodies and evidence. Um, which is one of the benefits of making up my own communities is I can, I can drop these things in when I need them. And, and uh, the downside is now I have an ice house in the pond, <laughs> which uh, I, 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 it would be really bad to have a second murder there. Um, but we'll talk about that. Sean has all kinds of problems with, with the crime rate in, in Winport, clearly. 
Um, <laughs> but that's where, that's where it came from. It was just, I, I happened to randomly come across it while I was doing other research on something unrelated to writing. And then when I was developing the plot for this, it became this really perfect place. Uh, and it also gave me an opportunity to, to bring Charlie back into it because there's a point in this book where Sean remembers seeing something historical about it. And he has to go to the library, which is one of my, I, I try to pump up the library in my books as much as possible. But he has to go to Charlie because she's essentially the expert on everything um, and has access to all the info. Uh, yeah, he could have looked it up on the internet. Yeah, okay. Oh, no. But what he stumbles not... upon in the library is so much better. It is. It's totally great. And, and it also gives me a chance to bring Charlie back in because I feel in, a, in some ways that we haven't really seen her a lot. And we really haven't allowed her to shine because she is a brilliant person on her own right. And um, I, I think it's this book where she's, um, this book or, or the, the last book, I think, when she's been asked to actually go to a conference in France to speak about something. And, and we haven't seen Sean and, and um, Suzanne take care of the kids yet. That's coming in, in, a, in some future book <laughs> while she's traveling. Which ought to be great um, on that. But yeah, so that's where it came from. I needed something perfectly creepy. And, and, um, and that's how I found it. So was it hard for Sean to replace Vass? Or should I say, was it hard for you <laughs> to have Sean replace Vass? Yeah, it really, it really was. Um, clearly, it, I think it took five books, four books for Sean to finally hire someone. Um, he tried to hire Vass back once, and that didn't work so well for either of them, of course. Back in and he's been avoiding it. I mean, he just yes, keeps totally. pushing it aside. Yeah. And uh, yeah, certainly. I, I think he was really hoping at some point Vaz would just show up on his doorstep and say, all is forgiven. Um, <laughs> I, all I made is well. Big, I belong I made, here. <laughs> I made a big mistake. I, I'm, I'm coming back. Um, and that's clearly not happening for that. Um, it was. I, I say this regularly. I wasn't expecting Vasily to walk out in, at the end of, of Blindsided and start his own life elsewhere. And... I think I had intended at some point for him to come back. I had intended one book for him to be in, in Southern Cal um, and that he would find it was awful and he'd come back. He'd come running back to to um, Winport and Sean. And you can see some of the seeds in that because in some of the early part of, of Ditched, he is seriously thinking about maybe this is the place I want to be. Maybe Maybe my life isn't in Southern Cal. But the further I got into it, the more I realized, no, um, Vaz was fighting me coming back to Winport. Every turn, he would make a decision that would mean going back. And I think Sean finally had to realize that too. And it really isn't until they leave things really badly at the end of Ditched. And I think they, they don't really patch things up until he's, he's out in California. Well, it's, it's essentially the, the downhill subplot is them essentially patching up everything and, and restoring the friendship that they've had for a long, long time. But coming to the realization that Things have changed. Vasily's going to stay in California. Sean is, for the moment, we'll talk about that later, for the moment, staying in Maine. Um, and their lives are going to be different from this point forward. It doesn't mean they can't still be friends, but it just means that they're not going to be together the way that they are now, or were at that point. But it still meant that Sean needed to replace him. And I needed somebody to be the... Um, Vasily had always been intended to be essentially the chorus to, to Sean, not not the automaton, just kind of repeating orders and going off and finding evidence when I need it kind of thing. Vaz was never that. Um, but the somebody that Sean could bounce ideas against. The, you know, maybe not an equal per se, um, the number two in the organization for sure, but somebody that could stand up to Sean and say, eh, eh, boss, I think you're on the wrong, down, down the wrong path here. 
uh, or did you look at that or did you look at that? I mean, Sean is brilliant and I've written him that way, but he does need somebody to rein him in. And temporarily Suzanne stepped in <laughs> and has been doing that. Uh, and Charlie definitely doesn't mince words uh, when it comes to Sean, but they're temporary. And I, and I couldn't see moving forward in the series with either one of them kind of like subbing in all the time, being the voice of reason <laughs> for Sean. Um, and I, I, once I got there as the writer that, yeah, I do have to fill this seat. Somebody's got to go there. Uh, then Sean, of course, naturally knew that it was time for him to finally, finally get someone, but it was a long journey. I mean, it was easily four books before I kind of got to the point where I was okay as the writer that I, I could give up on it, even though I'm writing both of them. I mean, it's like, I, it's, it's a strange thing. Um, but yeah, I, it was hard. It was still hard for me. I still, I still find myself reaching for plot lines that involve Baz in Winport, and I can't do that. I've got to shift them because the the story is different without him being there. Yeah, it certainly is. So now that we have Norm, mm -hmm. um, he seems to be becoming a regular character. Uh, it makes me wonder, how do you decide which characters you want to continue from book to book? <laughs> You know, that's a great question. Uh, I, I feel like I say that a lot with your questions, um, but that is actually a good question. Um, I think we talked a little bit back in Requiem about um, Rosie, because I had only intended for her to actually be in that first book, Pariah. And, and she was a periphery character that I, I wound up by the end of that book, she became kind of a um, um, less periphery and more integral to, to Vasily's life, which was, wasn't my intent. And I liked her so much that she came back in peril and then she came back again. And by the time that she came back the third time, I realized that she's not going anywhere, that, that she's actually um, gonna be with me. Norm is the same way. We meet Norm for the first time in duality when Sean goes down to Southern Maine investigating a lead. And Norm at that point is actually working in a different department, a different police department. And he's the one that, that is Sean's contact well, he's uh, looking at a house or, or something, I think it is. And he was intended to be kind of the police officer of the moment, you know, somebody to unlock the door, answer a couple of questions, you know, give a little context to what's going on, and then that's it, last time you see him. And then I couldn't forget him. And so we, we move away, we only see him in that two or three chapters, I think he's in duality. Um, and then I kept thinking about him. And when it came time, finally, to replace Vasily, I thought, well, who's Sean going to want? He's going to want somebody who's kind of like A, B, and C. And gosh, Norm kind of is A. He's sort of B. And I can definitely write C. So if we do that, I think he could probably fit. And I, I kind of left it in duality where Sean was kind of impressed with the kid. He, he thought he was pretty cool. Uh, and in, wasn't exactly you know, overthinking what Sean was asking for, but certainly had the answer Sean needed at the time and knew where to get them. If he didn't know the answer, he knew who to get, to, who to go to and, and how to do it. So kind of proved his chops on the fly, almost like he was interviewing for a job uh, without knowing he was. So when it came time to fit, fill in uh, or, or to replace Vasily, he was natural. He was going to be the guy that applied and, and Sean was going to hire him. There was no question that he would be a good fit. Um, the same goes for Raphael who I've talked about in some of our other podcasts. So we meet uh, Rafael Gonzalez in uh, Bygones, which is uh, a Vasily book. And he's a national park ranger, 
police officer, which is a thing. There's an actual police department inside the National Park Service. They, it's, um, it took a little bit of research to dig all that out, but they have their own investigative arm in there. And when we meet Raphael, he's pretty high on the food chain is in uh, mid-California coast, one of the parks there. Um, and we learn more about him. He's in more of the book, so we know more about Raphael by the time we get to the end of Bygones than we actually did about Norm. And he's a fascinating character. I like his backstory, and I can see him, and he has, I can see him popping up uh, doing other things. So he shows up again in Bewitched, because uh, there's a, again, spoiler, spoiler, pause now. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, for reasons I won't go into, there's a moment in the book where... Um, Sean and Norm have to go to Las Vegas. And uh, partly it's because I needed a, I wanted a moment between Sean and Vasily. And that was, um, that happened to be where Vasily was going to be. Uh, and it, it was just very clever on my part to, to put one of our, our um, leads in Las Vegas. It certainly worked. It worked out. Yeah. <laughs> I worked really hard to, to try and make it not seem like it was obvious. Um, but while we're there, we see Raphael again. And, and he pops in and a connection is made, shall we say, um, that will lead to Raphael showing up again in the Sean books, not in the Vasily books, which um, is pretty cool. I mean, I like that idea. I, I've never had a character cross that way yet because obviously Vasily left Sean Kovath to form his own book. Um, but having Raphael or a character from the Vasily series kind of make their debut and, and then become a permanent fixture over here. Uh, it's kind of interesting. In some ways, I guess I kind of think of them as cast members that are shifting shows. <laughs> you know, there's going to be a guest appearance over here for an episode or two and a guest appearance over there. Um, actors equity. You have to decide be... whether you're going to pay them full time on their well, new show. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's I, I don't know what actors equity gets into on this one. You know, is it a bigger rate if you're in a guest star on one and a lead on the other? Um, and how does it work with Vasily? Because he was a kind of a co-lead on one and now he's a lead on the other. But yeah. Um, and has guest of, appearances on the other. Exactly. And I think in, in to, to more fully answer your question about the who becomes a, a permanent fixture, um, I think it depends on how they resonate with who they're writing. I, I, I think a, a bit about um, Caitlin, who's my, my Uber admin in Winport, who we first see hiding behind the desk and uh, blindsided. I could have left her just answering the phone and, you know, kind of being there when Sean needed it and doing his travel paperwork. I mean, that's got to be all kinds of fun, right? Um, but she's hung around and I don't, um, she, she actually winds up playing a pretty prominent role in um, Vengeance, which is the, the book that will be coming out in 24 in the Sean Koba series, because I figured she's grown enough as a character and she has enough of a backstory for me now that it would be interesting to kind of see more about her background and how she fits into the whole Sean universe. Um, she's not just a, a character in the background, um, which is kind of cool. So that was one where she kind of has resonated with me. And then there's two officers that we see regularly on the facility side of the house, um, which I feel badly that they haven't had their own prime time yet, but they keep showing up and kind of helping Vasily with the case in key moments uh, or, or, or doing things that he needs them to do at key moments. I've always figured that they're going to bloom into something um, because I, I do like them as, as side characters. And it's nicer to kind of reuse these characters than to create a whole new police officer or a whole new something with each book. Um, 
so it's sort of organic, I guess, at the end of the day, who, who, who survives to the next book, <laughs> who doesn't get transferred you know, to another station. I was going to say, well, don't start killing them off. <laughs> no, 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 I won't do that. Um, but it's sort of organic. And I do have a running list because I, I, I do like to keep track of who I've added to the series. And, and the last time that they were there, because I didn't, you know, if, I don't want them to fall off. So if they are a character that I've, I've decided that's going to hang around, I want to flesh them out a bit more and make sure that they've got more of a background. Um, and also remember that I used them and where did I use them last and where did we leave them the last time we saw them? Uh, I think there's a, uh, a character in Focus that we see in, in the, the first few moments of the murder scene investigation and then I drop them like a hot piece of coal <laughs> and we never see them again. <laughs> Uh, which was totally unintentional, but I got to the end of that book and realized I'd never written the character back in again. So I've got to, I've got to fix that one. He'll, he'll show up later somewhere, I hope. Or in my brain, he's got demoted for some reason, and he's now writing parking tickets in, in Rancho Linda, uh, which is why we don't see him anymore. Uh, I don't know. Take your pick on that one. But um, yeah, that's how I do it. It's organic. Well, another spoiler alert question. Um so for a successful detective, Sean always seems to be on the outs of the Windeport Village Council. Something's always going wrong, and they're certainly calling him for it. And now at the ending of this book, he's in trouble again with somebody else, but, I mean, in a roundabout way still. Why did you go in that direction? Um, I think it touches a little bit on the fact that I... There's a perception perhaps being a small town police chief is kind of an easy gig. You know, there's not, not a lot going on. Um, you, you do the public affairs kind of thing, write some parking tickets to kind of keep that thread going, as it were. Um, keep your budget under control and make sure the tourists don't get hurt. And that's, that's kind of the end of it. That seems boring to me. So, um, and I, could, I can't imagine that Sean would really find that to be a fulfilling kind of career. Hence, people keep dying in, in Winport. Um, now, there's a negative consequence to that. So I kind of allude to the fact in the first book that things have been great up until Blindsided. You know, Aside from the fact that Winport's dying at that point, you know, we talk about boom and bus cycles in, in the Snowdrifts podcast. When we first meet Sean, the economic situation in Winport is pretty bad. Um, by the time we get to Bewitched, it's actually on the upswing again because the, it has become a tourist destination. And, and it's kind of, as I call it now, the Kennebunk of the, the east coast of Maine, or Kennebunk Port, rather, of the east coast of Maine. That doesn't come without a cost. And the cost is that the village council is not the village council that hired him originally. People have turned over. The community is That's different. That's true. It's um, been years. There are, it has been years. And the, the mechanisms for running this, the village have changed. Because instead of being essentially a fishing or fishing-based economy, uh, it's become a tourism-based economy, and that means that perception is king or queen, depending on, on which gender you want to go with on that today. Um, so one murder is bad. By the time we get to Bewitched, I think we're up to three. <laughs> Not to mention a, a couple of suicides uh, in there too, and that's all in the space of about two years of book time. Essentially, it's obviously been a lot longer with me writing them, but it's about two years, give or take, from from Blindsided to Bewitched, uh, more or less. So that's a lot of death for a small town. <laughs> and and yes. I have to tell you, you know, as as a kind of a, a side note, that Maine itself, I think has about five murders per year 
total. So Winport is making a significant dent in in the uh, statistical reporting for Maine. So I, yeah, one I to two fifths a year. Yeah, so I, I would almost think that that the state itself would probably be on top of Sean at this point, going, "What is going on down here?" Uh, for that. So and I've I always tried to avoid the Cabot Cove problem, which is you know Jessica Fletcher apparently was never looked at as the murderer. In Cabot Cove, clearly she should have been after all those years of people dying whenever she showed up. Um, and I don't want Sean to get into that situation either, which is a kind of another side story uh, or side discussion. But I think that that's kind of where this is coming from. So the, 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 maybe in Blindsided, they're willing to give him a pass because, of, you know, yeah, this is exceptional circumstances. The guy was going to die anyway. Um, and he solved it, although in the process of solving it, he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, and in a small town, that's really bad because memories are long, um, grievances never really get let go of, uh, and now he's built on top of that. So obviously the next murder happens. Now he's kind of getting in people's faces a second time and then a third time. Um, people don't like that. I mean, even in, even in big towns, people don't like that. In a small town where you've grown up with these folks, you know, you've been around for as long as he has and his family's been there as long as he has. Um, it's, it's bad news. It's totally bad news. And of course, the first thing the village council wants to do is kind of clean the decks. <laughs> let's, let's clean out the old wood. It's gotta be Sean's fault that all this is happening. Let's get rid of him. Um, or at least put the pressure on him to go elsewhere and he'll take all of his crime with him, uh, essentially. And for me, I think that makes a much more interesting story than him just yeah, okay, there's death this week. Okay, there's another death next week. And there's no consequence to him as a essentially a person charged with making sure that doesn't happen. Um, it's not his fault, obviously, that these things are happening. And clearly in Bewitched, it's not his fault that this murder happened 20-odd years earlier. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's his predecessor who dropped the ball on it. But he's just saddled with <laughs> making some key mistakes at the wrong moment um, on this particular one. And it gives it essentially gives an entrance into allowing him to really be at odds with the village council in the most ultimate kind of way. We'll deal with that in and um, vengeance. The storyline is not going away. It's essentially the beginning of the thread of what's going to happen in the next book and how that resolves. Um, but as a writer, it gives me some wiggle room, too. So I hinted back in Outsider, Sean wasn't completely wed to being a police chief for the rest of his life. Um, but Winport was the only thing he knows. And it's a community he, he lives in and, and loves and doesn't really want to leave it. And he's really good at what he does. Um, and he doesn't, you know, I've also said in the past, he doesn't work just in Winport. He's in demand nationally. So he does do these consulting gigs that we've not seen him on yet, but there's some coming. Uh, well, in a future book, we'll see him actually do a, a consulting gig. So the, it's always been kind of an option for me that he would chuck the whole police officer thing and just go private. Or he would decide that he's really done with public service um, in Maine and he might find another location and just kind of do that. And I think Vasily's even offered a few times now for him to move over to to uh, Rancho Linda and do stuff out in California. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we're going to do that because I don't, don't want to do this reverse thing where where Sean winds up working in Southern Cal with Vasily. But it gives me enough of a wiggle room that however it comes out in vengeance, I've got some options. 
And so it's completely plausible now, by the time we get to the end of Vengeance, that a lot of different things could happen to Sean, and they're not going to come out of the left field. Um, it was painful to write, though, because he is kind of this this brilliant investigator and having these idiots on the village council essentially kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater is kind of hard to do and hard to yeah, conceive Yeah, he's of. a likable guy and it is frustrating mm -hmm. kind of, you know, the challenges he goes through professionally. It is, it is. And um, I also think it adds a touch of real, like I've said a little bit, it adds a little touch of realism to it. Because I think we all had those situations where we feel like we've done exactly what we were supposed to do at the right moment. And we still wind up on the wrong end of, of yeah. the bargain. Um, Certainly relatable. Exactly. Totally. So we had talked about, you know, kind of peripheral characters. So here's another one. Um, there's just a brief interaction between Sean and his father. Back in Downhill, it seemed like the relationship might be on the mend. Will we see some sort of resolution there? Yeah, uh, I think we will. The I, I had left open the possibility that, that um, I, I think I even have a plot line that I haven't actually kind of executed on yet where uh, Sean will actually go visit his dad in Florida and, and that there are a number of reasons why he would do that but it would also give me an opportunity to kind of face that whole thing uh, fully which we've really not done and Downhill let me repair I mean we, we only see his dad for a couple of paragraphs in, in Blindsided but it's enough of a distasteful flavor <laughs> that I, I think most people would agree that it would be, it was okay that he didn't pop up again uh, until he got to downhill because uh, literally he throws Sean out of the house uh, because he's friends with Vasily. Um, and, and it kind of sets the stage for a couple of other really bad um, takes on parenting as it were. And, and to kind of discuss a little bit of why there's a, a I mean, the, the biggest part of the rift is that Sean didn't become a pharmacist. He was supposed to go into the family business and he didn't, but we've never really kind of talked about why. Um, and I think in dealing with his dad, we kind of need to talk about that and, and kind of delve into all of that. But there hasn't been a moment in any of the books that I've done up to this point where he could, it didn't, it doesn't feel like a phone call to me. It's not something that he can just get on the phone and they can have a heart to heart in a chapter kind of thing. I think it's gotta be an in-person thing. And I haven't, I know his dad well enough. I'm using air quotes that nobody can see in, in the podcast. <laughs> I know his dad well enough to know that he's not coming back to Maine. He's he's permanently moved to Florida. So Sean's got to go to Florida if he's going to do this. And I don't think Sean's ready, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, it's I think, a trip I, that he's also avoiding, I'm sure. Yeah, you know. I mean, he, he didn't hire Vaz for five bucks. So yeah, <laughs> he's he's been avoiding the whole talk to dad thing too. And I want it to be right. And I also want it to be part of whatever the plot line is of the book that it's in and just kind of randomly tacking it onto to something just that hasn't felt right. But it's a it's an open thread that I need to address because I it's been eating away at me, too, as the writer for a while. Um, and I. I. I don't know, I guess I don't want to give false hope. I'm not sure there'd be a complete resolution because I think there's still a depth of 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 pain between both sean and his dad um not just because sean didn't go into the family business but over the death of his mom which we touched on a number of times on the sean side but we really haven't other than just kind of anecdotally knowing how his dad handled it we don't really know how that kind of went for him and 
in some ways, Sean has not actually been a great son because he hasn't really checked on his dad in two and a half years to see how things are going down there in Florida. You know, maybe things aren't going that great because um, if his dad is alone with all these thoughts, hmm. But I've been a bad author and just haven't dealt with it. So I know I need to, and I know it's something that's out there. Um, and if I'm, if I'm really brilliant about it, I'll try and squeeze it in as a backwards book because I'm really famous for writing these out of order. And, and try and do something after downhill if there's enough time in the, the timeline to do it. That's it. That's all the questions that I have. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. thanks to Anna for taking the time to chat about the novel. As you can probably tell, we had an incredible time together, and we're looking forward to doing it again with our future releases. If you like this episode, let me know. You can reach me through my website at chrisjansman.com or via Facebook, Instagram, or Mastodon at chrisjansman. Bewitched is currently available on Amazon. I'm Chris Jansman. Thanks for listening. I'm looking forward to seeing you again next time.